0: Welcome to another edition of The Economist Corner. I'm Jared Ball, Chief Economist of the Committee for Economic Development of Australia. I'm recording this podcast on Friday, the 8th of May, a day that we've had some positive news from the Prime Minister about a three step plan to end the nation's COVID 19 lockdown. Um, and while we're a long way off being able to travel internationally, this week I thought I'd take The Economist Corner global. And I'm not just talking about staying in the newly coined Trans-Tasman bubble here. Uh, No offence to any New Zealand listeners. So I thought we'd start in Germany, the world's fourth largest economy, where the process of reopening its 16 states has just begun. And we've even seen German Chancellor Angela Merkel declaring we can afford a little audacity. Germany uh, also happens to be Australia's 10th largest trading partner, and our economic ties certainly run deep. At CEDA, we're lucky enough to be part of an international network, including the German Economic Institute. The Institute's mission is to create and impart economic knowledge and prompt change with the clear objective of making the German economy fit for the future. They stand for free enterprise, competition and open markets. I caught up with the Institute's Managing Director and Head of Research, Dr. Hubertus Barth, who is based in Cologne. Dr. Barth's been with the Institute since 2000, he's widely published, and has expertise across a wide range of economic policy and development issues. We discussed how Germany has managed COVID-19 to date, the economic fallout, and how their reopening process is going so far. I wish we were talking under, you know, more uh, happy circumstances in the world. But um, certainly my uh, reading is that, that Germany and Australia are amongst countries globally that have, have probably managed this um, pandemic pretty well compared to others. Um, so if we, just, if we just start at the point of the health response in Germany, um, you know, certainly from my perspective, reading the international media, it seems that, that Germany has done a pretty good job, certainly relative to others in in europe um what's your sense um sitting there in the country as to you know how people feel the health response has been managed uh, by governments
1: i think you're right health response has been has been pretty good um i think the main reason is uh, two of them one is we have a very good um, health system health infrastructure we have um, more intensive care beds for example than any other country um, in in Central or Western Europe. And that helped, of course, to to cope with that situation. And then we haven't been the first country hit. So we have seen, um, especially Italy, um, a couple of weeks before us. And in Italy, uh, the situation has been uh, pretty dramatic and um, hospital beds uh, didn't, um, there there haven't been enough hospital beds for all those severely ill. this um, led to pretty pretty bad pictures in the media, and that then um, triggered a quick response in, in Germany. So we closed down schools and, um, and many shops and so on, um, Well, not very, very early. I think um, countries like um, Taiwan, for example, have been quicker in that perspective, but um, it was early in, in Germany. Yeah, and so
0: very much some parallels there there with Australia as well in terms of um, responding early, having having seen the, the kind of unfolding crisis in other countries as well. Um, moving to the economic dimensions of, of this, and we kind of have a cascading set of data coming out every day here in Australia at the moment with um, some quite sobering Uh, facts about just the immediate economic impact uh, of this pandemic. What's the economic fallout looking like in Germany? And I guess what are some of the kind of emerging risks that are really kind of keeping you um, focused and and perhaps awake at night at the moment?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, maybe starting with the overall development. In in the beginning of um, all that, so in the end of March, we expected... A uh, drop of GDP um, between minus five and minus ten percentage points. Minus five. Um, that scenario assumed that we were back on track um, by the end of April or beginning of beginning of May with hardly any restrictions then. And um, it's it's obvious that it took longer to um, to reopen uh, the economy, reopen public infrastructure, and and uh, getting getting companies and a business back to work. So um, I think it will be very difficult or even impossible to um, have that minus five uh, percentage point scenario. So I think we'll be in the end uh, somewhere between minus seven, minus eight, minus nine uh, percent in this year. We have um, uh, not much unemployment yet because um, there's um, an opportunity for companies to, uh, to keep their employees but uh, let public authorities um, uh, pay parts of um, their salaries um, if there's no work for them. So we, we call it um, short time work. Um, so companies can reduce the, the hours worked by the employees and um, uh, reducing their their um, uh, paychecks and um, the labor agencies pay uh, part of the difference. So that means that um, unemployment is not high. And that means that after that crisis, companies still have their employees and can restart quickly. That's happened that quite a lot in the last crisis in 2009. Um, but the number of companies um, who applied for that is much, much higher than in the crisis 2009. So there are about 10 million employees in companies that applied for this kind of, of instruments. We don't know if they will all go on short-term work, but it's, Will be, will be millions, and the longer the crisis um, will will be, the more of them will change from short-term work to unemployment. So that's that's really one of the um, the negative um, developments that may lay um, ahead of us. We have seen a shutdown in many service sectors. We haven't seen a forced shutdown in the manufacturing sector, but for example, the automotive industry did close its production plants uh, completely. um, Because on the one hand side, there have been problems with the supply chain. So we we are, automotive industry has a very complex supply chain or even supply network, and um, with uh, parts coming from Czech Republic, from Italy, from Spain, from France, from all over the world, and that of course, has been disrupted in one way or the other during the crisis. If there's no no business in northern Italy, then no parts can come from northern Italy to um, to Germany, and then um, we can't produce the cars anymore. So, they, and and the other thing, the maybe more more long lasting problem is is demand. Demand for cars um, uh, went down dramatically, and um, car dealers had to had to close down. They, they, um, have reopened a week ago, but demand is still low, and um, companies are trying to come back to production, um, but far um, from their, the maximum capacity. So they are trying to go to 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 percent of production capacity um, this week. But so that's still on a very moderate um, level of production, and. Um, so, what, what we see when we ask companies, we see that two-thirds of the companies we asked say, we are very severely hit by the crisis, and one-third say, we are hit by the crisis. Not very severely, but we are hit. There's hardly anyone who isn't um, hit negatively. And they also answer that that won't change too much in the coming months. So, in average, they believe that the maximum of the crisis, of the economic crisis, will be this autumn so in six or seven months from now and they also believe that they will be on track so on the pre-crisis level of of production or turnover in 15 months so in the second half of 2021 that's a long-lasting crisis similar or even more severe than the um financial and economic crisis so i think um you
0: know some definitely some alignment with some of the debate here and certainly um you know, thinking about it in terms of probably being quite quite long lasting, and and we're still seeing a lot of the indirect economic impacts um, come through the system. And interesting that you you touched on the short term work scheme uh, here. In, here in Australia, our government uh, introduced mm-hmm. a $130 billion uh, JobKeeper wage subsidy scheme, which which has very similar uh, objectives of of keeping people attached to their um, Employers, what else has has there been in terms of the the response from the um, government? What what other forms of uh, stimulus and and rescue have they kind of um, provided the corporate sector?
1: Um, in the first phase, there was um, liquidity assistance for companies. So governments provided liquidity ass- assistance or postponed um, taxes and social security. Uh, contribution payments. So that um, was the idea to keep liquidity in the in the um, in the companies to keep them alive. Um, but um, that won't that won't last forever, especially if companies can't can't pay back these loans or um, can't pay their their taxes then later on. So we are now discussing and there are some kind of schemes introduced already um, for for permanent assistance or for, for kind of subsidies which um, are not repayable, but that's the the rescue part of it. That's um, about keeping companies alive in this uh, difficult situation. We're now starting to discuss about um, fiscal stimulus um, measures and especially uh, about uh, growth measures in order to to um, well not just. Um, find good answers for the demand side as i mentioned there's a demand problem in in some sectors or um, maybe the whole economy but that that has to be discussed but um, afterwards and there's still the supply side situation and we must improve supply side um, perspectives for companies to make them eager to invest in germany again and and, um, not to postpone investments and um, therefore the and so, in, just in modern... sticking on the on the supply side, and
0: and also you mentioned previously the the disruption to uh, manufacturers, and like Australia, I know I know China is is Germany's biggest trading partner, and so some of those um, supply chain disruptions and disruptions to trade um, began very early for our um, countries in that context. Um, just you've touched a little bit on on some of the uh, disruption to automotive manufacturers in Germany at the moment. Just how mm-hmm. widespread and severe are some of the disruptions to supply chains um, for for German manufacturing, and and what sort of uh, I guess measures or or timeframes are you seeing in terms of getting out of some of those disruptions?
1: In the beginning of the crisis, the supply chain disruptions disruptions. Have been the, the the biggest fear or seem to be the biggest problem. And then we were looking at China and asking ourselves, will, will products, will spare tar- spare parts or uh, whatever come from China to to Europe? As far as we know, production in China is um, well not stopped, back to normal, but on its way back to normal. And um, also um, transportation. Um, Infrastructure is still still intact, and, um, and there's cargo flights and and so on. So um, our impression is that um, supply chain problems are not that much between Asia and, and Europe, but more within Europe itself. Um, as you know, Europe is very fragmented, and, and many, many different countries um, with uh, partly border um, restrictions or border border controls uh, back at the moment, and and um, different phases of that crisis. So, especially Italy, but also France and um, and Spain uh, are still in a pretty problematic situation and um, are in a harder lockdown than we are in Germany, for example. And that means that um, companies in Germany are struggling to get their parts, not that much from China, but from from other European countries and from the U.S. U.S. is, again, a couple of weeks um, beyond us or after us. So they are, um, um, if, if China will be back on track and Europe is getting back on track, that um, uh, will take a couple of, of more weeks regarding the US. Um, but that's just the, the supply side of, the, of our international perspective. We also have the demand side. We also need, of course, our our neighbors as, um, um, as, as customers of our products. And um, we also, as, as Germany is exporting a lot of machinery, we are also bit dependent on what's happening in the emerging countries. So if emerging countries are building up the industries or the manufacturing sectors, the industrialization of emerging economies is demand for our um, machinery industry. And um, so they, for example, have probably to face um, a lack of demand for for a longer period of time, because we believe that the emerging economies will have much more problems coping with that crisis medically but also economically and and therefore um will probably not get back on their old growth. i past. think that's an important
0: um, observation and and we kind of we're so focused i think at the moment on the advanced economies kind of experience yeah. of this pandemic and the response that that we forget uh that it is it is moving through emerging economies and there's some pretty big risks there you also mentioned the fact that um German manufacturers are so dependent in some cases on uh, parts from other parts of Europe. Here in Australia, our dependence uh, in terms of imports has led to a bit of a debate around uh, onshoring or, or revitalizing our manufacturing sector here in Australia. Um, of course, Germany uh, has a very vibrant uh, and sophisticated manufacturing sector. Um, different to us, but is has there been any discussion around some of the dependencies um, into Europe for parts and things and whether whether German firms should be taking up some of that um, business
1: The discussion started and um, but it didn 't start right now. I think we have seen some tendencies of deglobalization or um yeah, maybe deglobalization in the last couple of years. We see more regional production. We see in the automotive industry that um, they source regionally um, in Asia for Asia, and that's not only the the, the producers of cars, but then also tier one suppliers, tier two suppliers um, coming more from the region. Um, there's the same or similar supply um network in Northern America for Northern Americas on Northern American customers and in, in Europe for Europe. So um, we see this kind of um, regionalization of international or tendencies um, of that developments um, internationally. And I think that will um, go further with the discussion we now have, which is then not only about where do I get my pass from and and um, what what are um, a price differentials internationally, but when it also comes to to security of supply, something we we know from energy markets, but um, something we don't really know that much from from industrial parts um, yet, and um, that could lead to more diversification of supply. It could also lead to more reshoring, uh, bring production um, back to to Europe or to to Germany. Um, we have asked companies if they are planning to do that, and, um, and there wasn't a very enthusiastic yes. So that's not, not on the top priority list of, of the companies. Um, if it would make sense, I, I don't believe so. I think we, we must um, find ways to use the advantages of international division of labor, which is in fact globalization, and combine that with security of supply, but not not by not by stopping international trade and bringing bringing everything which is important um, back home. But that that um I mean that will um, be bad for competition. That will be bad for innovation, and um, and will be extremely costly. Um, I and I even don't think that it would be very reasonable from a German perspective, especially because um, we have a lot of. Um, we call them hidden champions. Small, medium-sized companies, uh, with, um, w- which are working in a very small niche, very sophisticated, very specialized, and and technology-wise advanced in their very specific niche, with very high market shares in their niche. And that would obviously be a problem if then suddenly suppliers, uh, if, no, if suddenly their their customers say, yeah, we can only. Buy half of um, it from you, and need need to find someone else to um, um, to manage the risk. So I think we must find ways to um, be better in in well fixing problems in the supply chain when they arise. Um, And in the past, we have seen many many examples where the supply chains have been have been very flexible and and, um, and very sustainable. I remember then when there's been that earthquake and and, um, uh, nuclear uh, failure in in Fukushima in Japan, then there has also been a discussion, what what should we do with the parts coming from that region, which um, um, are are not available now. And it didn't take very long until production has been reallocated to to the US, for example, and supply chains were able to to react and were flexible enough. What we see now is a global pandemic and a situation where every every region is is affected, and um, I mean that's not the standard problem we have to build our that's global economy on. Observations, and
0: I I think you know people certainly companies it seems will be looking for greater sort of flexibility and resilience in their in their supply chains uh, in the future as a result of this. Now. You probably haven't, haven't listened to any of my podcasts before, but I always, uh, I have a KPI of finishing oh. on a positive note and our Prime Minister has announced uh, a three-part um, sort of process for uh, reopening our economy and getting us out of lockdown and I note that of course Germany's already already started to uh, reopen, and I even see in the New York Times today that your uh, Chancellor has said that you know you've done such a good job um, that you've got the right to be a little bit audacious now uh, and and reopen. So tell us how's how's that process um, going from the perspective of citizens and business and. Is, are there any issues around inconsistency of different states in Germany and how they're approaching that? Because certainly that's, that's been a kind of um, consistent sort of point of tension here uh, in Australia in terms of the different local approaches and the inconsistency that that creates.
1: Well, first of all, we, we are in a better medical situation than we um, feared to be a couple of weeks ago. The number of um, new cases is going down to less than a thousand in the last days. The number of active cases so people which are currently ill and not not recovered yet um is is going down has been by more than seventy thousand and it's now around twenty thousand so that that's going going down. We are far from um using all capacities in intensive care um so uh, there's no needs there's the no catastrophic scenario in 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 the hospitals we increased the number of intensive care beds and but all those capacities are not are not used which is which is good i mean it's costly but it's good that um that's not used so that that also means that people um need a good explanation why these restrictions are necessary if the medical situation is getting better and I think it's right to I have that uh, step-by-step process that we already have, starting with um, some shops to to reopen. Um, now, starting to um, let kids back to school. Our public transport mostly is, is back to its normal um, capacity. Um, services are getting um, step-by-step back to back to business, all with new restrictions. So, for example, when restaurants will open, they can only only um, have a smaller number of, of customers and, um, because of, of distance regulations. And that will also mean that they, even if they, they can, can reopen, they probably won't make, make any money because fixed costs are probably too high. And, and the number of, of customers and therefore turnovers is, is, will probably be too low. But that's a step by step development. And I think that also gives optimism to, to the people that. Things will really be a bit different for a longer period of time until we have a cure or vaccination against um, against that virus. But um, it's getting more similar to what we knew before. And um, I think next crucial step will be the question uh, whether we will be able to to go on some holidays in our neighboring countries or, or not. So, um uh, what about border restrictions that has been reintroduced in, in Europe, which we didn't know for for well, for years and years, or decades even. Um, so I think that, that's, a, that's a good development. And um, of course, politically, it's much easier to introduce restrictions in kind of emergency um, than to leave restrictions if you are not absolutely sure that nothing happens. And we, we can't be absolutely sure that there will not be, uh, again, an increase of, of cases. And that's why um, they also decided that there's some kind of um, well, let's say safety net. If if the number of new cases in a in a specific region, in a town or or a county, is getting too high, then in this town or county or, or county, um, restrictive measures have been to reintroduce. So then, for example, they can say to to limit um, I don't know limit limit restaurants again, limit schools again, and and so on. If there's locally um, identity, uh, lo- a local situation of a local outbreak of um, of the disease again. Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's been some kind of, of competition of the lender to introduce uh, to to relax There's some kind of competition between the lender, which is our name for the states, um, to use restrictions, and then um, um, some of them show that these kind of things are possible. So that's, I don't know, so ter- ter- small scale tourism is, is possible for example, or another one um, had the idea of allowing not only two people to meet outside, but five people to meet outside. And I think that, that that's good because we can see that um, uh, some kind of restrictions um, are feasible um, of limited of some kind of, of um, Loosening restrictions is feasible without going back to a catastrophic medical situation. Um, I think we're not too quick. And I think on the other hand side, we had, we also had some kind of competition when we introduced the the regulation. So there was one city in Thuringia, which introduced um, uh, the duty to wear masks outside or in in public transports and so on. And in the beginning, everyone asked, yeah, "Why? Why that? And what, what should they do?" But that, that worked well. They, they haven't had hardly any infections afterwards. And so one of the consequences was that we you now have to wear, wear face masks when we go shopping or when we when we are in public transport. Um, and that um, also gave the opportunity to um, right, to reopen shops um, more, more safely, for example. Many companies are trying to introduce new. And doing that introduce new procedures and new um, health and safety regulations to, to make it possible for their employees to work um to work safely. And um I think we all have to find our new ways to to deal with that with that virus, which um should be there well, for quite a while. Hubertus, you've you've
0: um well and truly helped me to um finish on a I think very optimistic and encouraging note. Uh, in terms of how Germany is is managing uh, the consequences of this and and reopening uh, the economy in a careful, staged way. So, um, thank you very much for coming on the Economist Corner podcast, and um, look forward to um, staying in touch in the weeks and months ahead.
1: Yeah, my, my pleasure, Bert. Thank you very much um, for inviting me, and um, I hope we we'll meet again in better circumstances Thanks, next time. All the best. Take care. Bye bye.
0: thanks for listening in to the economist corner and my conversation with dr hubertus bart from the german economic institute be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and for more COVID 19 coverage such as our blogs and live streams uh, please jump onto the cedar website cedar.com.au and as the pm gets the nation ready to reopen and the conversation increasingly shifts to economic recovery It's timely to point out that you'll now find a lot of our COVID-19 coverage in our recovery series on the website, uh, Coming Back Better. You'll also find uh, Dr Bart's contribution to our 2019 Economic and Political Overview report on the website. Finally, keep up to date with everything Cedar is doing in real time by following Cedar on social media. Uh, You'll even find me there too, and I'm always happy to take people's questions and feedback. Please tune in next time, and until then, please stay safe.